It's Monday, December 16th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The House will be holding a historic vote this week and is expected to impeach President Trump. After that, it all goes to the Senate trial in the new year. Senator Mitch McConnell is getting a lot of heat for already saying that he will be working with the White House and that the president will not be removed from office. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for more impeachment news and also some questionable pardons coming from Kentucky's outgoing governor, Matt Bevin. Next, we speak with Charlie Harding, one of the hosts of the Switched on Pop podcast and author of the new book, Switched on Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters. On the podcast, Charlie and his co-host Nate Sloan dissect pop on a musical level and the book offers a blueprint for how to learn more about what makes music great so you can understand and appreciate popular music and other genres. Charlie also fills us in on what we should be listening for besides just the rhythm and lyrics so you can expand your palette of hearing. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We'll have to make a decision about the way forward. And everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position as to uh, how to handle this. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. We have a, a big week coming up, a historic week. The House is expected to vote on impeachment for President Donald Trump, and they're expected to pass it to impeach him. And then everything's going to be moving on to the Senate. And a lot of people are giving Mitch McConnell a lot of heat for already saying that President Donald Trump will not be impeached. He will not be removed from office. I think he's done a round of interviews where he's basically saying he's going to coordinate with the White House also. That's right. There's been a lot of criticism, particularly from Democratic quarters, that Mitch McConnell has said what we all kind of knew already, which is that he and his team would work alongside with the White House to ensure that President Trump is cleared of the charges that we fully expect the House Democrats to pass this week. You know, this is a bit of a tricky situation. For starters, impeachments are very rare in our country. And second, the process is only a few lines in the Constitution. We're not talking about volumes of directions about how this is supposed to be handled. But to be clear, if this were like a criminal trial or a trial that most people understand, the judge in this situation is not McConnell. It's the Supreme Court, the chief Supreme Court justice, Roberts. And so he'll be the one who's sort of charged with being the fair arbiter or making decisions if he must uh, without having made his mind up. McConnell, however, has been pretty brazen in saying that he's going to do what it takes to get the president cleared. But Again, impeachments aren't legal processes. They're not trials in the sense that criminal trials are. They are political processes. They were designed to be political processes. And while it may feel a little unseemly that Mitch McConnell would admit this, the reality is that's that's really how they work. As I said, the House is going to be voting this week. One of the people who had already been uh, kind of rumored to not vote for impeachment, Representative Jeff Van Drew. We just got word that he's actually going to switch parties. He's actually going to leave the Democratic Party and become a Republican. That's right. Jeff Andrew is a, a lawmaker from New Jersey, he was a state lawmaker for a long time, represents an area around Atlantic City. His district now includes Atlantic City. He had been quite critical of his leadership from the day he showed up in Congress in January of this year. He was quite vocal in opposing Nancy Pelosi. 
had been very critical of other Democrats. Uh, it seems that he was sort of on a road to to abandon the party even after getting elected and, and having been a Democrat for some time. He is in a very tight district, a district that was previously held by a Republican that he was able to unseat. So one may argue that this is a political move, that he didn't see a path to getting reelected as a Democrat in his district. It will surely bring some criticism from other Democrats. But, you know, the Republicans have enjoyed saying that the votes against the president's impeachment that have been taken so far on the floor, the one vote to authorize the investigation was bipartisan on their side. Jeff Andrew was the one Democrat to vote with them. Now, if he's a Republican, they no longer have uh, one Democrat voting with them, although <laughs> right. they could get a couple more. Even with this defection, they said that there might be a few other, a handful of Democrats that might vote against impeachment, it's still widely expected to be passing. Absolutely. Democrats control such a wide margin of the U.S. House. They can lose several votes and still pass these impeachment proceedings. Another member to watch is Colin Peterson, a Democrat from Minnesota who represents a very rural district, had a very tough reelection fight last year uh, in a part of the country that has shifted its political leanings. He may be one that also doesn't vote with his leadership. And Nancy Pelosi, for her part, has said she will not whip this vote, meaning she will not encourage her members to vote in a certain way. She will not count the votes before the vote is taken. Republicans, on the other hand, Steve Scalise, the whip on that side, is whipping the vote. He is encouraging his members to vote a certain way and is counting to ensure he has all of them. So it is political to some degree, but uh, not not going to generate any surprises, I think, at this point. And just to end off here, I mean, just kind of a weird story. The outgoing governor from Kentucky, Matt Bevin, he issued more than 400 pardons and commutations in the last days of his administration. But there was a lot of questions. Uh, he was uh, pardoning a bunch of people, including a guy who was convicted of beheading a woman and stuffing her in a barrel. I think people were calling them really like extreme pardons. What is going on there? We are not sure what's happening or has happened in the state of Kentucky. Matt Bevin was a very unpopular governor, Republican governor in a red state. He lost his reelection bid, so having only served one term. And then on his last day, you described this flurry of pardons of criminals sitting in jail. There was one to the brother of a donor, uh, seemed to be maybe the justification behind that one. But attorneys for some of these defendants who were released, who were telling the press, they just don't know why cases in which there were videos of them committing the crimes, yeah. uh, cases in which the attorney said they didn't even ask for a pardon, so they don't know for what reason. So a bit of a mystery unfolding in Kentucky if we try to figure out what prompted him to make all of these bizarre and, and final pardons. These criminals will be released and there's not much else that can be done about it. Yeah, and One of the people had uh, was convicted of having child pornography. Uh, I mean, he had it on his phone, but he still got a pardon. And I think in the justification, he said, oh, there just wasn't uh, enough evidence or something. It's like head scratching stuff. But as you mentioned, these pardons are final. So there's really not much you can do. But people in his own party and in, in the Republican Party were also asking for investigations into all of this. So, I mean, this one's going to keep going on for a little while, but, you know, they're finally there's nothing you can do anymore. Yeah, they can't lock these people back up, at least not for the same crimes. I guess some of them they might um, have had other crimes they weren't prosecuted for that they could look into. But uh, we're not talking about people with traffic violations or drug violations. We're talking about people who killed people. And yeah. um, I think that that's going to prompt a lot of investigations and soul searching about this process. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
So I think how we talk about popular music probably requires a little more thought. And that really want to implore that what is happening now, like always, oftentimes popular music is trying to serve a generation and carve out a sound for a young group of people that are trying to define themselves maybe against their parents. Because the reality is many pop consumers are young. They really do drive ecosystem and they want to have their own sound joining us now is charlie harding one of the hosts of the switched on pop podcast and author of the new book switched on pop how popular music works and why it matters charlie thank you very much for joining us so happy to be here pop music is such an important part of music culture today and a lot of people might not realize it i think there's a lot of biases against pop music and we'll get into all of this but first tell us what you do on the podcast and what are you doing with the new book Switched on Pop is a podcast about how popular music works and why it matters. In fact, that's the subtitle of our book. We really try to look into what is going on in a song first at a musical level. You know, so often I think we approach pop music maybe from a celebrity sort of icon-like perspective. And, you know, profiles can be interesting. When we're listening to the music, oftentimes it's the lyric that we pay attention to first. But we like to say that when you're only listening to the lyric, you're only hearing half the song because the music has a lot to say as well. And so all those other perspectives are interesting, but we try to take the angle of, let's see what the music has to say and how it all might connect together. And then answering the sort of why it matters question, might it tell us something larger about what's going on in culture or in that artist or in that song? Music is part of your life. You're a songwriter, musician, your podcast partner, Nate. He's a musicologist at USC. So it's not like you're coming at this from nowhere. I was listening through some of the podcasts and and one of my favorite bands you spoke to was Electric Guest. And you guys do a really good job of breaking down the song and what they mean and the tunes and the tones and kind of how the song really gets made. And there's little tiny things in there that... Maybe if you didn't like it before, you're kind of like, oh, man, I do like that now. Or this hits my ear in a specific way. So I think you guys do a really good job of breaking down popular music. And as you said, why it matters. We have for five years been breaking down pop music songs on a weekly basis. We often get to talk with the best songwriters, producers, and thinkers in the world of pop. But we felt that it was insufficient to just sort of give you something on a weekly basis. We thought that for listeners, it could be really helpful to be able to know why a song is great to help expand beyond your own biases, even of what you like. If you can have a sort of more exhaustive knowledge of popular music and get these sort of essential tools that you need to understand what is happening in the pop music landscape. And so that's actually why we wrote a book, was that we wanted to take some of the things that we do, breaking down songs like Electric Guest, but help give that knowledge to somebody else. And so in our book, we take 16 essential modern pop songs and pair them with a musical concept that defines them to help reveal something larger of what's going on in that song or in pop music in general so that your ear can expand beyond its existing limits. Let's take a quick step back and kind of define pop music. A lot of people might have noticed on their social media, people putting up their Spotify playlist for 2019, you know, all their top music. In that, there's this one section that tells you all the genres you're listening to. And I was listening to a bunch of people like Anderson Paak, Kay Trinata, a bunch of different people. And I thought it was uh, more kind of in a hip hop genre, things like that. But it told me that my top genre ended up being pop music. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of out of left field almost for kind of what I was thinking pop music was really. Um, So, uh, you know, tell us uh, some artists that are identify as pop music and then just pop in general. What is it? I think I have to go with the second question first, because I think the first is too challenging. I don't know exactly how other people are identifying their music all the time, but I can say that pop music is a little bit of a slippery term. 
And we think about it not just as a genre. You know, there's maybe a certain category of like bubblegum pop that is honestly a chameleon-like, always changing sound. Like there's not any one genre. What was pop in the late 1980s versus what was pop five years ago versus what was pop today. You're thinking of like new wave versus EDM versus trap. These things are all pop and wildly right. different. And so I think that requires us to open up our vocabulary and, and think about pop as a slightly larger concept that is perhaps what's popular, counted by something like the Billboard, which you know, is looking at not just radio, but also streaming and downloading and, and so on. But I actually sort of take it even one level broader and think about pop music as what music is happening in the popular zeitgeist. So even something like Take Me Out to the Ball Game or Happy Birthday, these songs are popular songs. They are a mesh in our collective consciousness. And for me, that's where I really look at pop. So Anderson Park, definitely pop. Billie Eilish, definitely pop. Old Town Road, you know, much controversy around its genre definition on the billboard. Yeah, is it it's, hip-hop, it's, is it country, it's, right? It's hip-hop, it's country, but it's definitely popular. And so I think about it as something which is popular that is pop for me. And that's so important because there's so much genre bending in music right now, and artists are really touching on all sorts of little things, a sound from here, a sound from there, and it really all ends up being kind of popular music. Why do you think a lot of people have a bias against pop music? You know, you always hear people in other generations say, ah, your music is crap, but it really <laughs> just changes with every generation. The pop music is always a constant, but it just might sound a little different. There's a lot to unpack there, but I'll try to keep it brief. The first thing is that if you like the music you like, that's totally fine. I've got no beef with that. But if you start telling me that someone else's music is bad, I think that that's kind of insensitive. It's very culturally insensitive to say a whole category of cuisine is bad. You could say, I don't like it. It's not my taste. That's totally fine. But you don't want to insult another culture. And I think we should think about music similarly. There isn't bad music. It's serving some purpose. It's serving some group of people. It's probably connected to some culture. So I think how we talk about popular music probably requires a little more thought. And that really want to implore that what is happening now, like always, oftentimes popular music is trying to serve a generation and carve out a sound for a young group of people that are trying to define themselves maybe against their parents. Because the reality is many pop consumers are young. They really do drive the ecosystem and they want to have their own sound. But I think it's always a fault to say, well, it's not as good as it was in the past. And if we dig into the musical aspects of that, I think that that argument just never holds up. It usually just means that our ears are tuned into something very different. I'll just give you one very quick example, which is you know, if someone says, the only good music is classical music. It has beautiful melodies. It's harmonically complex. It's true that some pop music tends to be more melodically simple today. Harmonically, maybe more repetitive. A lot of the same chord progressions that will loop throughout a song. But the texture, what we call the timbre of music, all of the soundscapes that are happening are often more complex than things that are going on in Hollywood films. And I think that classical music heads might recognize that the textures that are made with the symphony are oftentimes what make that individual composition so powerful. Similarly, if you start thinking about timbre and pop music, all of a sudden your world is going to be blown open if you listen to Travis Scott's Sicko Mode, which is a tour de force of timbres. You guys talk a lot about timbre on the podcast and when describing mm -hmm. music. Beyond timbre, I mean, are there any other words that we should be looking to to define in our own head so when we're analyzing music when we're considering new music any other things that we should be looking for to help us kind of understand it we wrote this book switch on pop how popular music works and why it matters and we made it as the compendium for your listening it's comprised of the 16 most essential pieces of 
musical knowledge that you ought to have. But if we reduced it down to just the absolute essential, I would say that we should listen always to what's happening in the rhythm, what's happening to the beat of the song, what's happening in the melody. There's something particularly melodically interesting or perhaps maybe uninteresting, maybe intentionally. I have a good example of that. In Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, I talked to her brother Phineas, who's our producer. They intentionally made a melody, which is just one note over and over and over again with changing chords underneath. So the melody is not interesting, but the chords are. And that's the third element, harmony. As all the voices sound together, are there interesting, dissonant, happy, sad? What are the qualities of sound that are happening? So we have rhythm, melody, harmony. We need to also listen to, as we had said, timbre. So what are the instruments that are happening in the track? What are perhaps the synthetic and textural qualities? Does it sound like it's in a big cavernous space? Does it sound like it's being whispered in your ear? We have form. Is the song structured? Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, like so many pop songs, or is it maybe a traditional? A lot of hip hop today is, is a traditional does not fall into that structure. And then finally, lyric. You know, people I think are always like listening to lyric anyway. But if you take rhythm, melody, harmony, timbre, form, and then you look at the song and reflect how those musical elements connect to the lyric, you'll often find there's a lot more going on. Going back to Billie Eilish, when she sings, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> when she sings bad guy, they transform her voice into this other monstrous-like yeah. timbre that we call text painting, where literally the words and how she sings them reflect the meaning of the words themselves. I loved hearing how descriptive you are of the music, because I think that's important. A lot of people just hear something and it was like, yeah, I like it. Ah, I hate it. You know, and they don't really know how to articulate why they do and why they don't. And I think that's what you guys do so well on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to getting into the book for those reasons to even help myself kind of define what I do and what I don't like better. Charlie, I wanted to ask you real briefly because you are a songwriter. How do you feel about songwriting in current popular music? Oh, I love songwriting in current popular music. I think this is a golden era of songwriting and where, where producers and songwriters, I do production as well, are having a real moment where I think there's more recognition that it's not just an artist. When we talk about any of our favorite acts, even groups, you take a group like Maroon 5. Maroon 5 works with some of the best songwriters and producers in the business to help craft their sound and help figure out the best way to boost their song into its ultimate potential. And, and I think that those songwriters are getting credit. Obviously, if we look like a, an album like Beyonce's Lemonade. That is an album where it is a whole workshop of people coming together. And just like we can think about like Raphael's workshop who did the Sistine Chapel, it wasn't just Raphael who painted the entire Sistine Chapel. It was a whole workshop of people. And I think we're getting to a stage where we're recognizing that those people who are contributing their craft to that artist's vision deserve some credit. And it's a very exciting time. So the podcast is called Switched on Pop. The book is called Switched on Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters. The book is out now, so everybody check it out. Everybody check out the podcast because you guys do talk to a ton of cool people. And like I said, really yeah. analyze the music, break things down. And I am guarantee you'll, you'll like something in there. Charlie Harding, half of the podcasting hosting here. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this 
was your daily dive 